Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and a very... Very warm welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon, and I can, you know what? I I like everybody on our team. You know, everyone's great. Andy, Dalton, Liz, wonderful folks. But I I literally could not pick a better person to be doing this podcast with this morning. I am joined today by Scott Pianowski here to recap perhaps the best weekend in NFL playoff history and look forward to seeing, of course, we're going to, we're going to recap all those games. We're going to also kind of like give a postmortem on, on the teams that are leaving us, you know, say, say our kind words to the departed, but Scott, uh, my brother, my friend, number one, how you doing? And two, how are we feeling after, uh, like I said, what might have been the best, slate of football games of all time i think it was i try to be careful with recency bias it's it's easy to fall in love with the last thing you saw but we had three games that ended with walk-off field goals yeah walk-off field goals aren't always the most exciting thing unless maybe justin tucker's kicking it but whatever those games the first three games were all interesting competitive and dramatic in their own different ways and then we had a football game between the the Chiefs and the Bills that immediately sent people scurrying with, wait a minute, not only do I have to exhale, but I have to try to figure out what did I just see? Did I just see the best non-Super Bowl of all time? Where does this rank with the great playoff games of all time? Um, we, we Of course, we've been arguing about overtime for about uh, you know 20 hours since then. You know what What's the right way? Well, I don't think that we're ever going to solve that. And I'm curious for your no. take on that. But I mean, look, the first week of playoff football was very mediocre and that's part of what you get when some of these teams that don't have much of a chance maybe to go deep are in the tournament okay you know we, we got rid of the the Steelers we got rid of the Eagles uh, my Patriots didn't really equip themselves very very well in Buffalo allowing 15 straight touchdown drives and of course I had all the Nikhil Harry PTSD because every time Debo Samuel <laughs> does something it just drives you know drives me crazy or AJ Brown or whatever but the second DK Metcalf, I, I've, you've heard you've heard me say all this. You don't need Terry me, McLaurin, me say it again. Uh, Terry yeah. McLaurin, even Darius Slayton would would, would be fine. McCall man, Hardman scored get, a, scored a touchdown this weekend, Scotty. There you go, there you go. Uh, but man, did we get paid back for our fandom with with classics and what I think makes a great game. Not not just the ending has to be dramatic and the level of play has to be high, but I want. Like I think of some of the classic games, like the the Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl or the, or the Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl, where all the quarterbacks are Hall of Famers and there's Hall of Famers all over the place. And that Cardinals Super Bowl, Larry Fitzgerald had the greatest receiving postseason of all time that year. 
this Buffalo Chiefs game, man, I mean, you know, Mahomes is a signature player in the league. Allen looks like he's capable of doing anything. And there were all sorts of great moments. You know, uh, one guy in Buffalo scores four, four touchdowns. You had Tyree Kill housing a play. Travis Kelsey showed up late in that game and, and did Travis Kelsey things. A lot of fourth down drama. You didn't need to have a stake for that game to make you nervous. And if you were a Chiefs yeah. fan or a Bills fan or you'd put a couple of bucks down in that game, man, what an exhilarating and, and maybe even stressful ride. I mean, that's why we love sports, for, to have a football game like that and to have a weekend like that. So, yes, that was the I think that's the best playoff weekend that we've ever seen. So well said. And I think with that, we can kind of jump right into Chiefs and Bills. And, and I think your point. You're my favorite point that you just made among many great points you just made was that you didn't have to have a stake in that game to feel like like have it take your breath away or like feel nervous about it or feel like almost drained afterwards and I thought that to myself like I think I I might have even tweeted this that like I feel like that was the longest you know those last two years were like the longest year of, or those last two minutes were like the longest year of my life you know and and then I said th- I thought that and I said but I actually don't care. Like, I mean, in a, in, in a grand sense, I'm not a Bills fan or, you know, I'm not a Chiefs fan. Like, I have no attachment to this game. But I literally felt like that. I mean, for the most of it, part of it, after like 30 minutes, for the next 30 minutes, I'll be like, man, that was a bummer that the Bills didn't get that one. I really feel for Bills fans. I love Josh Allen. I love Stephon Diggs. I, I really just like Sean McDermott, like the ethos of the Bills in general. But that was the the most of the attachment for me is that I wanted to see those guys win that game. So like for the next, like I talked to my fiance for the 30 minutes afterwards, what, what a bummer that was, but that's it. Then we move on. But that is how good that game felt. Um, and, you know, it's just so many, so many ways to go uh, for this, for this game here too. I mean, just the last two minutes alone was, I, I keep coming, I, for, for whatever reason, I've come across the, um, the quote at the end of the office that uh, Andy um, that, that Andy gives at the end where he says, I wish there was a way to know that, you know, you were in the good old, or Pam says it, whatever. Like, I wish you were, I wish you were, um, I wish there was an ability to know that you were in the good old days before you left them. Uh, and that, that was how I felt in that game that I, in the moment, I knew this was an instant classic, you know, from like just the vibe of the game, the vibe of Josh Allen and the bills and the way it felt. And just like, even at the last chief's possession, when they have like 14 seconds left or whatever, I'm like, this is enough time for Mahomes to go do Mahomes stuff. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Um, I don't know, Scott, let me, like, let me piggyback on that a little bit. One thing that makes this game just extraordinary to me is that you have, you could argue the two most, I, mean, look, I, I wouldn't give the MVP to Cooper Cobb. I'm not going to go down that storyline today, but <laughs> sure. maybe the two most valuable players in football today are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. You have them in a playoff game where they're throwing haymakers, where nobody could tap Mahomes or Allen on the shoulder and say, hey, could you have done a little better today to try to yeah, help us win? Right. They were at the top of their games throwing haymakers at each other. And it's just sad that somebody loses. You know, I mean, we had that giant, we had that the Cowboys Niners game the previous week where it felt like both teams should have lost. This <laughs> yeah. is a game that both teams should have won. But to watch to watch two megastars at the top of their games converting on fourth down, converting in, in messy pockets, making plays with their legs, you know, the longest run I've ever seen Mahomes make. And, and Allen has been such a madman, scrambling, extending plays. It, it just, I, I, I feel satisfied that obviously Buffalo lost. It's a gut punch for them and, and everything, but at least they they couldn't have asked more from Josh Allen than what he gave them the last two weeks. And really what he gave them like the last six or seven weeks. 
Uh, I mean, he he played at the top of his game, and so did Mahomes. And unfortunately, you know, you, both teams can't advance. I don't think anyone would care if they played again next week for the AFC Championship game. It wouldn't be fair yeah. to Chiefs fans. But yeah, it's very rare when you get the two probably two of the elite players in in a sport on the same day, both hitting the 100 percent bar on their range, and that's what they did. So savor it because it doesn't happen. A lot of games come down to. Oh, the officiating sucked. Oh, the weather sucked. Or, oh, the football took a really strange bounce. Or the game got decided on something stupid. This game got decided by one unbelievable performance against one other unbelievable performance. So let's just savor it when we get it. Because, you know, not every game is like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw uh, Josh Allen had a 99th percentile EPA in this game. And Mahomes was still better. You know, Mahomes still won. Like, that's just absurd. That's what the sport is all about is these two, as you say, mega stars going back and forth at each other. That was just like, like I said, it felt like an instant classic in the moment. I think we will remember it as an instant classic. And, you know, it's like a compounding effect, too, because obviously, you know, the Bills we'll kind of do a postmortem on the bills here in a second, but like from, for one angle, obviously they're, they're feeling like, good God, we did all this. Josh Allen was this good. And we still couldn't, you know, topple the giant, right? Like who gives a damn that we beat them like back early in the regular season. This was the moment we wanted, but then for the rest of the AFC, Scott, I mean, you're looking at those two guys doing that. And like, I don't know. Obviously, the Bengals feel great with Joe, with Joe Burrow. I think they should feel good with Joe Burrow. The Chargers have a lot of other demons to exercise, but they do have Justin Herbert. All the other teams, you know, like the, the Titans lose with Ryan Tannehill. And we'll talk Titans later. But it's like the rest of the AFC has to be looking at like, okay, wh- what do we do now? And like, obviously, my football prime kind of started in the in the middle uh, or the early beginnings of uh, you know pre 2007 Tom Brady like before the 50 touchdowns like but I still obviously remember the come up of these two guys you know Brady and Manning in in that era this sort of feels like the same thing with Mahomes here and Josh Allen like going forward we're going to see this game a lot more times yeah and in the way the schedule works we know they'll play next year because they both won their divisions so we get another Allen Mahomes game, which will probably be on a Sunday night or a Monday night, and you know we'll get to all watch it together in real time. And and you're right, if you're not if you're not the Bengals or the Chargers, as you said, set up with the franchise quarterback, they also have skill talent that's exciting. One reason I took the Patriots loss and stride to Buffalo is I, I just knew at some point the Patriots would have to score thirty points against somebody, and I don't don't know that their offense is designed to do that. I'm not sure how Mac Jones is. You know, he may be a good quality quarterback, but he doesn't really have MVP upside. They don't have great skill talent. And most of the AFC is looking at it like, okay, is our upside 10 and seven first round playoff loss, maybe an upset win in the playoffs and then lose to the bills, lose to the chargers, lose to the Bengals, lose, lose to the chiefs. I, there's definitely going to be a striation here. And it's a long way away. Even some of these teams in the middle, they, I, I don't know what you have to do to get better. You know, it's, it's funny, Miami, right? They don't know who their quarterback is. They just fired a pretty darn good head coach. At what point are they going to be on the level of these, you know, these super forces in the AFC? I don't know. I, I would right now, if I told you how many teams would you would you need before you'd be comfortable seeding the field to everybody else? I don't know the Chiefs and Bills would be enough, but if you gave me Chiefs, Bills, and my choice of Cincinnati or the Chargers, I might just give you the rest of the AFC next year and say, Good luck. Good, Good luck, luck yeah. hoping that the Broncos hit all the red lights. I mean, I guess things could change if they get the right quarterback, but uh, it sure looks like this is and look, I know how it works when you win, right? Your secondary and tertiary players want to get paid. You can't keep everybody. Obviously, Mahomes and Allen aren't going anywhere. But those teams are going to get raided because they're so deep in talent. And then their coaching is going to get raided, too. I mean, Brian Dable, I sure seems like he's ready to be a head coach. So we'll, we'll see how 
Buffalo adjusts to life without him. But man, when you have quarterback solved and your quarterback is like primary MVP candidate every year, that sure makes things a heck of a lot easier. Yeah, it's just like, okay, obviously these teams will get rated, as you say, but like we got these two guys. We'll just figure the rest out later. I'd probably put Lamar Jackson in this conversation too, or at least like, you know, I think he's the, he's the same, he's in the same neighborhood with uh with Joe Burrow and jo- and Justin Herbert like the next group down from Mahomes and Allen and I mean even Mahomes at this point I think you still would put a tier above Josh Allen as good as Josh Allen is like you know Mahomes this is his four he's been he's a four-year starter and this is his fourth AFC championship game and I mean like you said concede the give take the field right with the AFC it, it, basically if you've done that the chiefs in the field you've been pretty good over the last four years, at least just make it to the AFC championship game. And yeah, I think like, I think of a team like the Colts that is, you know, looking at Carson Wentz as their, you know, are they really going to bring that back in 2022? Are they going to take like a shot at a young quarterback in the draft of which there probably is not one. I mean, the, the good news about the Josh Allen, like, you know, obviously there's some revisionist history of what's going on with Josh Allen right now, but people didn't like Josh Allen as a prospect. The bills took a huge gamble on him. So maybe there is a gamble, um, you know, like a Matt Corral from, uh, uh, you know, Ole Miss who's supposed to be extremely talented that you just like take and try to develop and figure out, you know, because he's got the talent. So I don't know, you know, we don't need to do like league wide takeaways at this point, but these two teams, I mean, it's just, it's going to be them two for the next decade going back and forth, going to war with each other. But I'm glad that you brought up kind of the bills, you know, and the fact that I think of these two teams it's kind of amazing that the Chiefs have been able to keep their uh, coaching staff intact for this long because for whatever reason, people don't want to give Eric Bieniemy a head coaching job. He's getting a couple interviews this year. Maybe this is the year that it happens. Uh, maybe even by the time this podcast is out, there's more rumors about him going somewhere. But Steve Spagnuolo has already like, had his shot at a head coaching job. He's probably never going to get one again. He's been able to stay as a defensive coordinator. But Buffalo is almost the one that's in more danger here because uh, they've got both their coordinators, not just Brian Dayball, who's in the second round of interviews in some spots Leslie Frazier is also getting some sniffs as a second time head coach so um, Buffalo has to feel a little obviously disappointed that they did not you know they're going to get their coaching staff rated they're going to get some they're going to lose big pieces of their roster potentially No, no one like huge right like but they'll still lose some of their fringe players and they don't have a Super Bowl trophy to show for that. You know, the Chiefs at least have a, a Super Bowl under Mahomes already. Like, the Bills don't have that piece of hardware in their back pocket to show for the fact that they're going to get their coaching staff rated. Um, however, you know, the Bills are kind of going to start to enter the second act here. Uh, like, the Chiefs and Mahomes are already kind of in their second act of, like I said, fourth AFC championship game, potentially going to make a, another Super Bowl here, depending on how next week goes. The Bills are kind of entering that phase where they're going to have to find their counterpunch potentially without Brian Dayball. Maybe Leslie Frazier gets a head coaching job. Um, but there's still some bright spots here for Buffalo. You know, Gabe Davis. Can we talk about Gabe Davis for a second? Four freaking touchdowns. How are we going to feel about Gabe Davis come like fantasy draft season next year? Yeah, everybody's going to remember that. And, and look at, as you know more than anybody with, with the work you do with reception perception, that it's not like everybody plays receiver and it's the same thing. It's apples and oranges players are different parts of the formation. They run different routes, but what's really good about Gabe Davis, in addition to being tied to Josh Allen, in addition to just flashing his upside for everybody to see is that players who are taking at least opportunities away from him are Sanders are Beasley and they're in their thirties, you know, Sanders is in his mid thirties. So it's not hard to see 
a situation where Diggs is their alpha and then Gabe Davis is their number two receiver, depending on what you make of Dawson Knox, who plays a different position, has a different role. It was encouraging to see Devin Singletary spread his wings and be back in the circle of trust. They were always looking for reasons to get Devin Singletary off the field. And he, they finally just said, okay, he's our bell cow or, or de facto you know, close to a bell cow. I wasn't playing maybe every snap, but they committed to him a commitment they weren't willing to make prior. Uh, the offense was better for that. So the problem with Gabe Davis is I'm, I was excited, like a lot of people were, um, about Gabe Davis before. I didn't need a four-touchdown game to be excited about Gabe Davis. <laughs> right. But he just had a four-touchdown game that everybody saw. And man, he looked terrific doing it. He won contested. He won, you know, with, with his skill, with his acumen. He, he faked one guy out so badly that the defender fell. But I think that was partially because of the great route that Davis ran. So it's going to be a case of, yeah, you want to get on that bandwagon and it's really crowded. And you have to wait for the next bus because the first one is overflowing. Right. So, I mean, is, is, did he play himself into like the fifth, sixth round, you know, depending on who comes back next year? I think, I think he's going to be drafted proactively and you're going to have to decide how much you want him. Uh, one of the things, just two other takeaways I, I want to clean up. It's something you mentioned. I love that Spagnolo's defensive coordinator of the Chiefs. I love reverse Peter Principle on these guys who get head coaching jobs. They don't work for whatever yeah. reason, but their acumen with the X's and O's is why they got the job in the first place. They're unbelievably great coordinator hires so much of the time, and you you end up with like a Wade Phillips sometimes, a Spagnuolo sometimes. North Turner was a guy probably made more sense as an offensive coordinator than maybe he did a head coach. So I think those are great hires, and a little bit of positive. couple of guys like that on the on the on the market this year, and Mike Zimmer and uh, Vic Fangio. Post, post, I'd, I'd uh, hire, I'd post hire either one of those guys a second. I think Mike Zimmer would be a great defensive coordinator if somebody's willing to get him on that contract, and at least. For all the people chasing Allen and Mahomes, at least take heart that Mahomes was, I believe, the tenth pick of his class. Allen was the seventh pick of his class. These these guys didn't go one; they didn't go two. Nope. People weren't sure if Josh Allen. He didn't play the level of competition in college. He didn't. He famously had almost no college offers coming out of high school. And Mahomes, you know, the book on him was okay. He's a talented player. He made mistakes. They lost games at Texas Tech. So maybe you don't have to have that first or second pick. And I know you, it's not a great quarterback class, but but. Again, it's not like when Buffalo took Josh Allen. Everybody said, "Oh, great! They're they're set for ten years." People weren't people sure laughed. if he was going to be a good football player. A lot of people thought it was a bad pick for years into his career too. And and that's the biggest thing is like young quarterbacks. Prop, I think Kevin Clark from the Ringer has written this before, but you like young quarterbacks so don't fail; they are failed. And for a lot yes. of these teams, that's the thing. Like Buffalo has built this beautiful ecosystem around Josh Allen, and that is why he's a a. Risk, he was a flawed prospect that has ended up hitting because they allowed him to grow. They allowed him to develop. You know, they nurtured him in a good uh, environment. A lot of these guys do not get that. Do not get that benefit. Um, and they were also they traded up for him too, I believe. So I mean, yeah, this is they take they take the risk there too. You do have to do that sometimes. Um, back on the Gabe Davis thing, you know, you mentioned the guys ahead of him. Sanders is a free agent this year. Doubt he's back with the team after he kind of predictably ran out of gas. Cole Beasley also, if they cut him before June first, uh, they'll save six million on the cap with just a 1.5 million dollar dead cap hit so like he's a guy if they're looking to save salary and potentially i mean i don't know what they can do on defense they've tried to draft defensive linemen they've tried to build that unit up but like if they're going to use some of that money to potentially keep bringing in kind of that 
solid group of defensive guys. Maybe they do borrow a little bit from the offensive bank there and they release Beasley and maybe and because Isaiah McKenzie is a guy that's been playing over Cole Beasley at times uh, during this postseason run here. You know, he's a guy who gives him a lot of juice there. Um, and then bringing that back to Gabe Davis, there's a real good chance that he's the number two receiver here pretty unquestionably if both of those guys bounce. And Scott, I said before the year, like, Gabe Davis coming into 2021 is not a guy that was, you know, I didn't think he was ready to be like a, a starter and the bills agreed. You know, people forget that Gabe Davis actually last year had a pretty rough postseason, rough game against Baltimore, rough game against Kansas City um, after a great game against the Colts. Like he was an inconsistent player, but man, you know, my offseason analysis of him is he can burn, baby. Like he can he can get vertical. He's got speed. He's also um, a bit of a one of these things doesn't look like the other type with the Buffalo receiving core. You know, uh, I love Steph Diggs, but he's not obviously a big bodied guy, although ask the fan that he drilled last night. He might tell you that Stefan. Diggs is a pretty strong guy at the point of contact, but Diggs is a, is a smaller guy. Beasley, obviously a, a zone beating slot receiver. Even Sanders is not a big physical presence. Davis gives them something that they do not have. I think if it's, if Beasley and Sanders go, I think, and, and Gabe Davis kind of passes like, you know, the film review test or whatever this off season, I think it's going to be like wheels up for this guy and, and, and pretty deservedly. So turns 23 on April 1st. He's 22 right now. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we know the way the NFL has shifted and college has shifted that if you're good, you, you don't stay four years. So talent comes into the league cheaper. Uh, it, I'm sorry, um, younger, and I guess, and cheaper with the way the rookie deals are. But uh, he's 22 right now. He'll turn 23 on April 1st. So there's a lot of room. You know, I'm old enough of a fantasy player to remember when we th- year three was the breakout. We get... <laughs> Spoiled now because Justin Jefferson can come in and be great right away. Jamar Chase can be coming and be great right away. But some of these guys, it's more of a learning curve. It's more of a wait your turn. Well, Gabe Davis, I think I think he's done enough waiting. And as you said, the the way the salary structure and the way the age structure works on that depth chart sure seems like he's going to be a starter on opening day. And, and the problem is this: you're just going to have to elbow a lot of people out of the way. Another thing, I, I don't know his status uh, Contract-wise, off the top of my head, and I don't know with with the injury when he'll be back ex- exactly. But remember, also Buffalo had to play this game without Tre'Davious White, their best yes, cover guy. We know they true. have great safeties, and, and you know they went to the Pro Bowl and stuff like that. But um, you know, having so much of the NFL and defense, where you're just tro- hoping to get some stops, nobody stops anybody all the time. But a big part of that is having depth in the secondary. And I, I you know, you wonder if they if Buffalo had Tre'Davious White on Sunday if he could just make the one or two key plays that could have swung that game for them. I'd like to see him make a, a full recovery, but I know we're in agreement on Davis. What's your take on Devin Singletary for 2022? Uh, listen, if they don't add like competition in the backfield, I think he's a guy I'd be willing to draft. I mean, do, does he end up falling into that dreaded running back dead zone? You know, that we talked about this off season. Um, but I think the fact that he's a young guy who seems pretty good. Um, like I like Devin Singletary. I think he's always looked like the better runner than Zach Moss. It's like, all right, great. Zach Moss and like enough already. Um, he's got some uh, juice in the passing game as well. He's had a couple of games where he's been involved as a receiver. Uh, obviously in this game, he catches four passes on five targets. Like, that kind of, I mean, attached to a great offense too. If like, they're not going to bring in any competition for him. I feel like that's what else are you really looking for? And, you know, he finishes the year with touchdowns in six straight games. Cause you think of a back, what is he? Five, seven, just a little bit over 200 pounds. You think, well, where are the touchdowns going to come from? The NFL is shifting 
away from this, I think, very dated model of, okay, we're at the goal line. Let's go jumbo. Let's, let's run the ball to our 248 pound, you know, fullback. Now it's about quickness. It's about yeah. being able to see your, your lane and hitting it quickly. And it, it doesn't matter if you're 195 or 207 pounds or whatever it is. It, it, it's agility. It's, it's lateral movement. And I can see a very plausible case for Devin Singletary being a double digit touchdown guy next year, because I, I just think this is one of those, the genies out of the bottle. Why, why would they want to move back? Exactly. And you know, even if Dable leaves, it's very likely the the next coordinator could just be an internal hire. One of the position coaches could get elevated. So they'll already be familiar with what Singletary's done. I, I hear what you're saying. When you say we, we all get nervous, the fourth round running back, you know, just there's so many bricks there, but Man, I, we're going to talk later about running backs who go go the first round who make me nervous. I mean, it's just the position that makes me nervous, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey makes me nervous. Derrick Henry makes me nervous. Yeah, Joe yeah. Nixon makes me a little bit nervous. So I, you're you're never if you're if you're waiting to draft the safe running back, they don't, I don't know that that player exists anymore. But I think um, you know if you want to make it a traffic light, green light, red light, yellow light, I'm I'm green light on Davis. I'm green light on Devin Singletary too. I think we are in agreement there uh, real quick on the chiefs before we move on to the next game here. Cause we've spent like 25 minutes talking about this one game, which by the way is we, it's, it's earned that right. We Merited. should spend 25 minutes uh, talking about this game. Um, Scott, can we agree as a uh, community to like not do any hand wringing BS about the chiefs until like November? Because remember when it's like, why can't this team be patient? Why can't they just take what the defense gives them? Why is this like, you know, all that in like September when they're having these turnover problems, that's exactly the team that we saw last night, right? Like they were uh patient Mahomes when there was nothing downfield, he just ran it himself. Um, he took like the, the shorter passes to Jarek McKinnon, who again, I continue to say it's hilarious that Jarek McKinnon is playing this like major role for this team. When we all got gassed up about their first round running back, not long ago, you know, taking what's there to Byron Pringle, taking what's there to Tyree kill, letting him do damage after the catch. I mean, Tyree kill was awesome in the open field, obviously on the touchdown, but basically all night long. I, can we just agree to like put a pause on any worrying about the chiefs in future years, because they can just develop into this team as the course the year goes on yeah that that's wise words and, and i'll be fair i was at one point with the podcast with frank schwab we do the handicapping i was like you know the chiefs are the worst bet in football they, they, they've covered like three of the last 17 games you have to pay such a point spread tax with them but what is coaching in the nfl good coaching it's a good coach has a team that has flaws that has areas that need to be shored up that has players who may be out of position whatever it is and those good coaches fix it. You know, the famous year Belichick did the we're on to Cincinnati. They looked terrible that game. And Belichick piloted that team to the Super Bowl. How many times has Mike Tomlin had a hand in Pittsburgh? Oh my God, this is finally the year Mike Tomlin's going to go under 500. He can't fix it. There's just too many. This ship is sinking. And there's Mike Tomlin with a winning record. There's Mike Tomlin in the playoffs again. Andy Reid, I wanted to know where the third pitch was. Well, the third pitch ended up being a little bit of Byron Pringle and a little bit of McCole Hardman and a little bit of CEH and a little bit of McKinnon and a little bit of Darrell Williams. It's still obviously an offense dominated by by Hill and Kelsey and, of course, Mahomes, but they found enough dynamic options. It doesn't have to be one specific guy. They found third and fourth options that have made big plays. McCole Hardman's been 
a much better football player, I think, in the last six weeks than he's been at any point in his career. You mentioned McKinnon, who I think we all – he was on everybody's sleeper list at one point, whether it was three years ago, five years ago. Um, I even had him on some best ball rosters this year. I got no usage out of that, but he was terrific. Kyle Shanahan went 2-0 and this weekend, actually, because he gets to actually win the game against the Packers and gets to take a victory lap on Jared McKinnon uh, you know, here in divisional round. Right. So I agree with you. Look, as, as simplistic as this may sound, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have earned the benefit of the doubt. The Chiefs have earned the benefit of the doubt. So when they have, when next year, when, you know, I don't know, Justin Herbert eats their lunch one day, or maybe they go to Denver and stub <laughs> their toe, whatever, or they lose to, and, and everybody loses to a bad team once in a while. I mean, this Buffalo team lost to Jacksonville. We'll, we'll never understand that, you know? Um, right. It just happened. Um, I think you're right that we just get to give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt. They've just been too good for too long. And, and again, the co- good coaching figures it out. Andy Reid is not a panic guy. He's like, okay, we you know we didn't get it right. Let's go back in. Let's watch some tape and let's figure out how to fix this. And by the end of the season, I think it's safe to say they fixed it. Yeah, I think what he said to Patrick Mahomes that when things get grim, go be the Grim Reaper. I think Grim Great Reaper quote. is a pretty good way to uh, to define Patrick Mahomes right now. So, as incredible as that game was, you know, it was hard to top. Well, I mean, it clearly topped it, but it was hard to top the game, the game that happened before that as Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fell to the visiting Rams. Um, the Bucks scored 14 points in th- under three minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, but the Rams were able to survive. I saw Jordan Rodrigue, great athletic beat writer, uh, beat writer at the athletic. She wrote a column with the title, the Rams face their own demons. Uh, you know, those that they created on their own. Basically that was kind of how this game went. There was a period of time where the LA Rams in the fourth quarter, they were I was like, are they really about to do this? Like, is, is Tom Brady really about to do this again? Like, I was ready to be extremely disappointed uh, at the LA Rams, but they survive. And look, Scott, everybody with their stupid, like, comparisons of EPA between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford can, like, get, get you know, get off my lawn, basically. Um, because, like, <laughs> Matthew Stafford was amazing in this game. And obviously, like, the throw that he made at the end there against like a cover zero type. Look, remember all the basically like after uh friggin' Brian Flores with the dolphins cover zero blitz, it blitz the hell out of Jared Goff in 2020. That was like kind of the beginning of the end for uh the McVay Jared Goff relationship and eventually led to this Stafford trade. Like, this is why they made that trade because it's a quarterback that, you know, for his flaws, like he's not Josh Allen or, or Patrick Holmes or anything like that for all Matthew Stafford's flaws. He's got the stones to sit there in that moment and deliver that ball down the field to Cooper cup against a very, very aggressive defensive look. And that's why he's the starting quarterback and Jared Goff is not. I have a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's in my poker circle and he had a sizable future on the Rams to win the Super Bowl, And he, had mapped it out, talked to him a little bit about it. And he said, okay, well, if they can just win this game, then I'm deep enough in the playoffs. I can hedge. I can lock in a profit. So I see him on Sunday and the Rams are rolling and everybody's patting him on the back. He's wearing a Stafford Rams jersey and everybody's patting him on the back <laughs> and talk about how are you going to hedge this against the Niners? This is perfect because the Niners will be a, a, a sizable underdog and you know, you're going to lock in this big profit. And then it's it's like I mean, it felt like I was watching the 1986 World Series again. You know, congratulations, oh, Red Sox, and then everything unravels. And I just felt so bad for the guy. You could see his face just turn pale um, about what you could just look at the Rams were gonna we're gonna blow it. And you know, people need to pick a lane about how the way the Buccaneers defended that final series, where if you play it passively 
and you get nickel and dime to death, people will be like, well, what are, you, what are you doing that for? But they went cover zero. They got aggressive. They said, okay, we're, we're going to single Cooper Cup, who was the best receiver in football this year for my money, and I still think would be would be a worthy MVP. He won't win it. But so that looks bad. I mean, which way are you going to go? You, you can lose aggressively. You can lose passively. Maybe Cup was just going to win no matter what. I'm glad that taking this from a just a I mean, I had my own personal stakes. I, you know, whatever, whatever couple of bucks I'm going to put down on the game, I'm in some playoff contest. But just taking this isolated, I'm glad the Rams didn't lose that game because, like, you know, Buffalo can hold their heads high in the way that game went down because they played so well and Allen was incredible. If the Rams lose that game, that's a, that's a game you never get over because it's like we yeah. gave it away. We fumbled yeah. that game away. Tampa Bay was not going to win today. We're the better team. This game is in the refrigerator. And then we did everything we could, could wrong to let – the Buccaneers back in the game that that would have devastated Rams fans. And I, I would hate to see a team lose that way. I feel like the Rams are the better team. I, I don't, I know that, don't know that I predicted that beforehand, but I feel like the NFC is better for the Rams advancing. I think they were the better team for most of that game. So I feel like the result is just plus, I mean, look, I, I grew up in New England. I'm a Tom Brady fan, but it's not like Tom Brady needed any more miraculous comebacks in his resume. And he played well at the end of the game. He didn't play well for three quarters. Obviously, the team down a lot of personnel. The offensive line was chewed up. They lost all sorts of talent on the outside. At times, it felt like Brady was throwing to, to players he had like no, absolutely no rapport with. I don't think him and Tyler Johnson are competing, completing each other's sentences or anything. But no. but we we know Stafford and Cup. I mean, they were eating breakfast every morning. I'm gonna have to figure out the eating habits and the in the uh, the partnering habits of, of people at breakfast because of the way Cup broke football this year. But yeah, I'm just satisfied the Rams won that game because I would have felt horrible for them had they lost it. Oh, a, a million percent. That would have been a tough loss to chew on, especially because like, you know, Cam Akers fumbling the ball away twice in crucial situations. Um, you know, that's a game that and he's a guy that we're like all so happy for coming back. You would hate to have, have him end up be like the goat of, you know, the other end of the goat, like a goat of the game or whatever. Right. That would have been a tough scene. Um, I agree with you. That would have been one that they're just kicking themselves for for months and months and months. Although I still say like. Buffalo can hold their head high, but they still got to be like, well, all right, so what do we do now? Like, what it would just like right back to it? This team, we built this team to beat the Chiefs. But nevertheless, I agree with your overall point there. Well, the Rams, um, too, remember, with all the draft picks they've, they've traded, the Rams are very much an all in team. This is not a, a long window team because of the way they've chosen to structure their roster. Yes. They need to do it now. They, Matthew Stafford, you know, he's not going to play forever. And they have a lot, of, a lot of money tied into this team and a lot of capital. They're, they can't do much in the draft. They traded all their picks away practically. So um, this was, if they had, I, mean, I feel like Buffalo lost and they're like, okay, now we're still like co-favorites in the AFC. Had, had the Rams lost this game, I feel like they, it's a shoots and ladders thing. You, you drop back 30 spaces. Yeah. And listen, for all of the folks out there that are, well, they better go win the Super Bowl now, you know, with uh, after making this Von Miller trade, after adding you know, Odell Beckham in the middle of the year, we're like, Von Miller has been awesome in, in the postseason. Odell Beckham, I know he has just 69 yards in this game, but like, guy looks fantastic and he's been he's been a huge like just the vice grip hands are back you know that his like easy separation is back although I, don't, I actually don't think the separation part ever went anywhere he's been getting open for years um but now he's just in an offense that knows what to do with him is and i think he beckham seems like you know he said to i think Josina anderson like the next chapter of my football career is going to be the best one yet it's going to obliterate my new york giants time and i know that from him for him that doesn't mean like 
I'm going to be better in fantasy than I was uh, with the Giants. I think it's just like more accomplishments. I hope he stays in L.A., man, you know, just for for what happened um, in Cleveland, how that deteriorated. I think it'd be great for him. But like the guys that they went out and got the all in moves are working at the right time for the L.A. Rams. So that's great to see for them Um, for the Bucks. Let me say one more thing about Beckham. I love the way they're engaging him. They called the previous week. They called an option pass for him. And the game was already lopsided. Maybe they didn't need to do it. But it's just a way of saying, you know, Odell, you're the man. Yeah, Yes, Cooper Cup is the number one receiver on our team. But it's just a way of keeping your guys engaged. You know, Bill Parcells used to love to do things like put Keyshawn Johnson back on defense for a Hail Mary. And (laughs) did they need to do that? No. But it's just a way to keep Keyshawn Johnson, just give him something fun to do. Give him a little novelty play. Okay, man, you're our defensive back. Go, go make an interception for us and let's win this freaking football game. I love the way they've engaged Beckham because, I mean, he needed the way it ended so poorly for him in Cleveland. He needed some team to give him a hug, some team just to say, hey, man, we value you. You can still be a star. You won't be the star, but you can still be a star on a team that wants to go deep in the playoffs that could win the whole thing. And I think it's just like when the Patriots got Moss after those lost Raiders seasons, they were always reminding him, you're the smartest receiver we've ever coached. Everybody's always telling Randy Moss how fast he was, how athletic he was, how gifted he was. But they say, man, you know, you're the smartest receiver breaking down coverages. You know, I mean, I, this is the way of investing in a player and valuing them that I think helps to get their best performance. I think the Rams have really done a great job of just acclimating Beckham emotionally as well as on the field. And, um, and Beckham's, you know, he's on his side, he's done everything they've asked him to do and he looks terrific. Yeah. That, I think that matters a lot. And you know, the one th- takeaway I have watching Beckham is exactly what you said is they're engaging him, but it's not to the detriment of the offense. You know, the first couple of weeks he's in there specifically, I think um, the Packers game, you know, the first, I think that was the first one off the bye. It's like they're shooting these like, missiles to Beckham downfield like just trying to get him like a monster play or something but it's not within the rhythm of the offense they're they're trying to get him something probably to be jazzed up about but now they can do that within the flow of the offense because he's fully integrated because he's been there now for a decent amount of time um, and Beckham is a, is a very intelligent smart receiver who, who knows how to fit into these things and yeah I mean listen the guy I think he's people act like he's just complicated mercurial figure um probably not a guy I'm picking to get a beer with, but like, you know, that's that's a very, I don't want to get a beer with many people at this point. I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm a tight circle guy. Now, the older I get here, Scott, but that's not the point. The point here is I think he is um, a guy that just wants to win. And if he's winning within the flow of the offense, it's not going to be this sort of like, well, Cooper cup's got 11 targets and I've got eight. Like he's not Antonio Brown. Who's doing that like over there on the sideline for the bucks, but, um, and also still tweeting, which is unbelievable. But uh, for those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you said that the Rams are the better team. I think they were easily the better team going into this game because they're healthier, right? Like the bucks are just a shell of what they would have been. You mentioned, obviously the receivers like, Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller just aren't there with Brady. Leonard Fournette looks good in this game. He played pretty well. Uh, He obviously was big in the pass game with nine catches. He's been big in the pass game all year long, but he's coming off an injury. And the crucial one was Tristan Wirfs not being in there at right tackle. I mean, the Rams are lining up uh, Aaron Donald over uh, the backup right tackle for a decent amount of this game. They're going after that position while letting Von Miller kick the left tackle's ass, which like... I mean, Donovan Smith, bro, like the back, the backups in on the other side, you've got to hold your own against Devon Miller at this point, but he did not. So um, just 
the Rams were the superior team headed into this game because the Bucks are um they're not healthy. Now the Bucks, there's a chance they're one of their coordinators gets a head coaching job here. Byron Leftwich is in his second round of interviews with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Todd Bowles has made the rounds as well. Um, they're certainly not going to be able to pull off the bring everybody back thing. Obviously, where do you stand on Brady? Because I feel I feel like he comes back, but um, he could retire. Uh, but they're they're not going to look like the same team, much like the Bills will not look like the same team next year. But at least they have a Super Bowl trophy to already show for it. I've been guessing wrong on Brady for years. Yeah, after he threw for five oh five against the Eagles and lost, I thought you know this would be a perfectly good spot to retire. I thought the championship last year was a perfectly good spot to retire. Obviously, he's got it. You know, he's got a family, kids getting older. He's got a wife who, who makes a lot of money. He'll never want for money again. He's got a brand built up. He's still, as far as I can tell, has a reasonable bit of health. You know, he can he can play golf and, and walk and, and not need a cane or anything. I mean, so many guys pay the ultimate price in the NFL. It feels like Brady's been relatively unscathed. So I, I don't know what else he has to prove. I don't think this team is a primary Super Bowl contender next year, just the way the roster is structured. So I I. I I don't know. I've been I've been wrong on Brady. I think he should have gotten out a while ago. But I mean, he he wanted to play into his mid forties. He's going to be forty five before the next football season starts. I would say 70, 80 percent he comes back. Maybe twenty percent he doesn't. That's a guess. It's based on yeah, nothing right, inside. Though. In fact, I, we, we we'll get to the Packers in a second. I, I that's this is a really unusual off season because we don't know what Brady's going to do. We don't know where Rogers is going to end up. It's the first time we've seen the possibility of maybe Seattle and Russell Wilson going separate ways. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. And you have some good teams you know, like Pittsburgh, like Denver, which have all sorts of skill talent, but they're missing the, the guy at the front. Uh, it's not hard to, to plug in one of these players to one of those spots. So I think the window is going to close on Tampa Bay. I, I just think the team's a little bit too old. And, you know, last year they were, fi- they won the whole thing and then they ran everything back and then it just went the way it did. Godwin got hurt. Antonio Brown kind of went off the reservation they couldn't have a healthy offensive line when they needed it. They had defensive injuries all during the season. Now football is like that. You can't. Yeah. Nobody goes injury free for the whole year. But and except the, the twenty staff, twenty bucks, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And the coaching staff. You know, Arians at his age. How long can they keep Leftwich? You know, Bowles, as you said, is drawing attention too. I just feel like there's going to be a, a big wrecking ball that goes through this roster really soon, and it could be this off season. Yeah, I think that Brady has said previously he'll play till he sucks. Well, he doesn't suck, so doesn't suck. I agree with you. 80% he probably is back, but there is that 20% chance. Um, Chris Godwin is a free agent. I think maybe they can get him back at a, at a decent discount because he's just so good with Brady, and he's obviously coming off an injury. But I will say, I'm glad Mike Evans had this monster game. I'm glad, A 55-yard touchdown, obviously. I'm glad he's had some attention here in the postseason because I think he's one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. Like People think he's just a jump ball specialist. There's all that hand-wringing with, when Brady came. They're like, how's, how's Mike Evans going to work with Todd Brady when he's just a jump ball specialist? The guy's one of the most detailed technicians in the NFL. Uh, he is the separation guy in addition to being a jump ball guy at his size, so I'm glad he's gotten that attention there. So, But that's about it. In terms of the offensive roster, those are the only two guys like for sure coming back. I don't think this is a commonly held opinion. Not that it's a hot take, really, but I think Mike Evans is already a Hall of Famer. In my mind, yep. he is. They're starting to get that. That conversation is starting to get into the ethos here, and I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's true. I think he deserves that attention. When you look back at that 2014 draft class, that receiver class that we were all gassed up about, um, it's like, LOL, Sammy Watkins went first. And there's a lot of really uh, great players in there, but like Beckham, who's probably had the best peak, 
but he has had a obviously rocky career path. Devontae Adams is the peak receiver in the NFL right now, but he's had a rocky career path. Allen Robinson, uh, I love Allen Robinson, but he's had a, a, a great career, but a, but rocky times within there. Even Jarvis Landry, he had his moments, but rocky career path there. The one guy who's the rock of it all is is Mike Evans. So he deserves uh, that attention, that, that, as you say, consideration for the Hall of Fame. Um, and that was the class that changed so everything. Because before yes. then, you would be foolish to draft rookie receivers in fantasy. They're a waste of time. What are you doing? And that was the, you know, Be- Beckham really being the signature guy there. We had to wait for him too. He didn't really come into the playing time until October, but that was the class that changed everything. And then the last few years, man, have we seen some unbelievable young receivers. But 2014, that's that's really where all the rules were broken. Yep. There you go. Uh, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk Packers. Uh, they lose in a in a strange game, you know, right? Because the Packers get down the field, score an early touchdown. AJ Dillon, oh AJ Dillon in the cold, baby at Lambeau punches in a six yard touchdown, and you're like, oh man, all right, off to the races here. And the 49ers defense, like D'Amico Ryan's, is another guy that you know. I remember D'Amico Ryan's like in his as a player, right? It wasn't that long ago uh, that D'Amico Ryan's was a very good linebacker in the NFL. You know, they just were lights out on defense in this game. Uh, you know, in, on the road against the league MVP, like conditions obviously were what they were, but unbelievable defensive performance from San Francisco. Um, you know, Jimmy G throws his required one interception where you're like, Oh God, is he really going to screw the screw them here? But I mean, Jimmy G back in another NFC championship, man. Like, uh, I don't know what to say. It is what it is, but yeah, the, um, the 49ers, I think are a really interesting team headed into the NFC championship, of course, but obviously most of the discussion coming out of this game is about the Packers. You know, is Aaron Rodgers going to retire? Is he going to go somewhere else? Um, I kind of feel like, I know there's talk like he might retire, like he might. I feel like if he can pull any leverage to go get traded somewhere else, it's going to happen because the Packers are one of these teams now that, you know, they're up against it from a salary cap perspective. You know, their offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett's in his second round of interviews with the Denver Broncos, of course, um, there's a chance he could get that head coaching job like their coaching staff's going to start to get raided. You've got uh, you've got Devontae Adams as a free agent. Like, is he going to want to come back if no Aaron Rodgers like they're in that kind of uh, Zadari Smith I think you know he didn't play that much in this game but he he posted something I think I heard on Instagram he posted something that like it you know he's gonna he's done in Green Bay or something so it's like this team is now entering that second act is Aaron Rodgers gonna be along for the ride or is he gonna get the hell out of there yeah I want to pause and say that since Jerry Rice retired and, and we can debate whether or not he was better with Montana or Young or whoever but I think Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have had the most symbiotic just unbelievable connection chemistry before the snap right at the snap in the middle of a play just being able to break off routes obviously all those beautiful back shoulder throws and it's it's hard for me to imagine that they're both on the same team next year although i don't know maybe green bay can run it back i don't think a team like denver could bring both of them in but I, I just want to. I watch. I just want to watch that on an endless loop. But I know that's what you do in the off season. Is you literally do watch this stuff on an endless loop. Uh, if you can come up with endless. a quarterback and a receiver that were on more, were more of the same mind meld as those guys. I, I don't. And I'll admit, I, I was probably more wrong about Devontae Adams than I have on any, any player when he came into the league and we were just lose losing constantly. Couldn't get open. Couldn't catch the ball. Made mistakes all over the place. I just thought this guy can't play. Why are they trying to force this? 
And another guy who I think is already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he, he, there's no right way to cover him. He's open. Even when he's not open, he's open. And I'm sad that we, you know, this was, this was the Stockton and Malone of the NFL or the, the Frazier, you know, they say in rounders, you know, Clyde, Clyde Frazier and Pearl Monroe, um, Bird McHale, whoever you want to compare him to, um, you know, throughout two of the Golden State Warriors if you want to. But they play unbelievably beautiful football. And then they did in part of this game that the Packers couldn't get the requisite points that they should have. I think a lot of people who were predicting the Packers wouldn't go to the Super Bowl were thinking that the special teams would do them in at the wrong time. And, you know, they had a field goal blocked. Um, they had a punt. Obviously the punt block was the biggest play of the game. And the Niners did what you're supposed to do. They weren't playing great. I mean, Garoppolo felt like had like one or two completions like that whole first half or whatever it was, but just hang around. Stay in the game, alligator blood, and then make a big play. You know, in that the punt was a huge play, you know, and keep Green Bay from scoring the amount of points they should have with the amount they were moving the ball. Um, so you know, hats off to the Niners. But I, I feel like I, I need to pause. And I, you know, Frank Schwab, our colleague, I, I like to mention him a lot. He'll rewatch every one of the games from the NFL season. He'll he'll rewatch all what is it now, two hundred seventy two games, just just for background, and just because he's like a freak like that. <laughs> I think one day I might just have a weekend. I might just watch Rogers to Adams because I think, I think this is it. I think they're done making albums together and I want to remember how it was because I, I don't know. I, I, can you think of anybody who's even close to having that type of relationship quarterback to receiver in the fantasy era? I don't think so. And I think it comes back to the discussion we were just having with, you know, Devonte Adams having a rocky career path to start. Like you said, I mean, he was legitimately, um, my my metrics would back this up. Almost any metric would back it up. He was one of the worst receivers in football. Like of the last eight years, was one of the worst starting receivers in the NFL when he began his career. And now he is, I think, unquestionably the best receiver in football. Like you said, he has no holes in his game. He's simply uncoverable. And you know, obviously, it's 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 very in vogue right now to take shots at Aaron Rodgers. But at the same time, like, and, and he's the guy who's freezed, you know, reportedly freezed players like Jeff Janis out, or I don't know if that's just like friggin' fantasy Twitter loved Jeff Janis. And it's just like a made up story. But if there was one thing that like uh, Aaron Rodgers consistently did was went to bat for Devonte Adams when he was at his lowest of low moments, he was like, no, like this guy's good. He'll get, he'll get there. Like he continued to, he he's the reason that he Devonte Adams kept playing, you know, he's the reason that the team never gave up on Devonte Adams and um, Adams eventually, you know, got to, you got to think like when somebody shows faith, I mean, we know this as human beings in just your regular life. When somebody shows faith in you, you want, especially when it's Aaron Rodgers, you know, and like you're actively out there screwing up things for Aaron Rodgers, and he still shows faith in you. I think Adams is the, the, the proof of why route running matters, why technique matters, why like being a student of the game matters, because that's what he became, just worked his tail off to get there. And yeah, you're right. It does kind of feel like we might never see Aaron Rodgers to Devonte Adams again. And then that puts Green Bay like I think if I think if Rodgers is back, they franchise tag Devonte Adams and just like piece together the rest of the roster. Like they bring those two back. But if Rodgers is gone, I feel like it's all bets off with Adams because their salary cap situation is that bad. Plus, we don't know if Jordan Love can play either. No, no, we don't. Right. Like if the Packers do bring Adams back and then it's like, where would you feel? So let's say let's say in a hypothetical world, the Packers bring back somehow they franchise tag Devonte Adams and he's there and he's just he's just doing it. Aaron Rodgers is gone. He's either retired. He's on another team. Where are you ranking Devonte Adams? Because I feel like if it's if it's Rodgers and Adams, you could argue that Adams is 
the wide receiver one overall, even ahead of Cooper Cup. But where would you rank him if 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 it's that scenario? I can't take a receiver, even as one as talented as Devontae Adams, in the first or second round, unless I feel good about their quarterback. I mean, with Justin Jefferson, you, you feel good about Kirk Cousins. Cousins is a whole other kettle of fish. Who, if you watch him on the right day, you know you got to talk yourself into him. You watch him on the wrong day, you're like, you know, he's just good enough to lose with. But he's at least of a certain level of competence. We don't know that about Jordan Love. So if if Love's set to be the opening day starter, I would have to say that you know, again, going green light, yellow light, red light. I hate saying this. I'm going to regret oh, saying yeah, that. It's going to be thrown in my face if if he's great with Jordan Love. But I would not draft. He would be a red light player for me. Yeah, he'd have to fall to like wide receiver seven or eight for me because there's just so many good players at the top it's like got guys with good quarterbacks and good offensive ecosystems and it, like i think matt i think matt lafour is a good coach like i think they des- i think they've designed that offense really well and i think that they've actually made life pretty easy on Devonte adams like for, comparatively right like he's still a number one receiver that's a tough gig but like they've at least got, they don't just ask him to go out there and beat press coverage every single route and like go against number one court. They move him in the slot. They get him some layups. They get him screens, stuff like that. They do that with Jordan love. But again, is the juice going to be there for him to be a top three fantasy receiver? That's tough to ask for when there's just so many good receivers out there attached to good quarterbacks. So it's I like, why, why one. run uphill when you can run downhill? You know, Stefan right. Diggs runs downhill. Cooper cup runs downhill. Justin Jefferson runs downhill. Jamar Chase and Adams without Rogers is unfortunately going to be running uphill. Yep, exactly. It's a bummer. Um, real quick on the 49ers before we move to the last game. Like, <laughs> it's just amazing that they're here with Jimmy G after trading three first round picks for a rookie quarterback. It's just hilarious. But, um, you know, this this game's going to get talked to death next week because of the history of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. The Rams have not beaten this 49ers team in quite some time. I don't know. We're, we're thoughts on the 49ers. I mean, just an, I think it was an amazing defensive performance and we know that they've got the offensive guys to pull an upset in San Francisco, in LA. We've, we just saw it a few weeks ago. First of all, I want anybody who can find an outlet that has the Jimmy Garoppolo interception prop. I couldn't find one last week. Cause I was, I was going to, you know, yeah, right. Have heavily, heavily chipped down on that one. Um, Cause I feel like Garoppolo is going to throw <laughs> one the to mortgage. the other, other team at one point, but Man, the Niners, nobody wants to play them. I know the Packers hated this matchup because it's a physical team. It's a dynamic, multiple offense. What they've done with Debo Samuel is, is just a joy. I think he's everybody's favorite player right now, one of the one of their favorites. They have playmakers on defense. They can get under Rodgers' skin and get under his feet without having to devote a lot of players to that task, which is the key to defense. If you can do that, you can stop almost any offense. So this is not, and Stafford's not going. Yeah, I, I actually went to mention interception props. I'd bet interception prop on Stafford too. There's going to be mistakes made because of the defensive lines in this game. You know, we know the Rams who they have, and the the Niners. You just they were so close to not making the playoffs, but you know, again, just keep playing, just get just in, keep chopping wood, man. And uh, let me ask you: Do you think the Samuel? I, I I don't mean to go into post mortem mode in the Niners because they're still very much alive, but. How are we applying what Debo Samuel's done in the second half of the year where he's become a weekly touchdown and he's become a legitimate – it's not just, oh, okay, ghost action, hand him the ball once or twice a game. He's carrying six, eight, ten times a game now. Do you think that's a sustainable business model for next season? Are you going to price that into where you rank him? I mean, is he a first-round player? Is he a second-round player? What's the ADP sticker on Debo right now? It's tough because obviously, like, again they could have a new quarterback next year like i think they're very you know 
maybe they're hoping that this just only boosts Jimmy G's trade value. Although I don't know, the team is so strange. Uh, it's hard to say what, what will happen. Um, still likely Trey Lance is starting next year. That could make things even more interesting from a Debo perspective. Um, you know, I think we're obviously right now they're giving him like 10 plus carries because it's the playoffs. Like it, it, we're trying to win games here, baby. We don't care about anything else. Um, but like, could he still manage like five to six per game next year? I kind of think so, especially because in the regular season, they were given it to him like only in crucial situations, right? Like in the red zone, in scoring area, on third downs. Like that's when they're going to Debo runs. But yeah, he's legitimately as much of a running back right now as Elijah Mitchell, as Raheem Mostert would have been for this team. Uh, I think I will. I think you have to price it into his upside because, by the way, like when you just look at his receiving box score from the point when Brandon Ayuk got let out of the doghouse in like week eight on, and obviously when George Kittle came off IR as well. It's that's not a first round receiver from a receiving box score standpoint. So like if you're going to take Debo high in the draft next year, you better hope that they stick with this rushing plan. And I kind of think they do because it has been so good. And he is just like a let me also just say we said I wanted to say no more like Chiefs panic before the month of November. No more. No, never, never give me a kind of reminds me of Debo Samuel comparisons because this guy is like one of one unicorn of unicorns like there will never I don't think there will be another Debo Samuel because like we've seen guys try to do this stuff before like you know Curtis Samuel did like some running back stuff for the Panthers it didn't look like Debo Samuel doing running back stuff for the 49ers no I've never seen a receiver do this type of thing and it's just so efficient it's so efficiently used right like Cordero Patterson kind of did the inverse of this where he started as like a gadget player for the um for the for the Falcons and then sort of became like a base back and became worse in fantasy the longer that he did it Debo has just been getting better and better the more they give him. And I just don't think we'll see another player like this guy. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, Percy Harvin was kind of like an inspector gadget, but it wasn't in a Close. traditional running back sense. And it's, you just see the place develop. Nor, just, Norse got in a traditional receiver sense. And that's the thing that's crazy about Debo is like, guy's not like a goofball gadget receiver. He smack, he has, and always, you know, he's, he's a vertical receiver. He averaged like 18 yards per catch this year, had a high a dot and he smashes zone coverage. I mean, he's, always open against zone coverage he's been one of the best zone coverage receivers since he got into the nfl because he is smart and knows when to break routes great timing and rhythm player i mean again you just can't say enough good things about the guy dynamite after the catch yeah it wasn't a case of what can debo samuel do it's just a case of it, it's like a a baseball pitcher who already has four great pitches and then added a fifth pitch it's like uh, what do we do against this yeah. guy you know I, I remember when you darvish was at his peak and they would show a baseball frozen approaching the plate and they would show like the five different ways that ball could move it's like good luck good luck trying to hit that I, f I feel like you know think of a pitcher with no hit stuff that's who Debo Samuel is there's just no way to defend this guy and he's with an offensive mind and designer in Kyle Shanahan who's just you know he's just having a ball with it so uh, you know he's every Debo Samuel snap is a gift for us and as a team you'll know, just look at all the joy they have with, with Kittle and Mitchell's been such a great story I you know got out of the doghouse has been a productive player for them it's just so backwards for them that we don't know what their quarterback plan is every <laughs> every other team starts a quarterback and, and moves the other way the Niners you know their roster is is and it's kind of the way just the way it fell where you know, Lance was, you know, didn't play at all really last year, and and Garoppolo was good enough to start the season with, and then they were winning, and it's just, you know, the things fell a certain way. The business model is not to have both of these quarterbacks on the roster very much longer. I think Garoppolo will get traded no matter what happens the rest of the way. But man, you know, Kyle Shanahan, I know he doesn't always have the greatest end games. He doesn't always close out games as, as well as we'd like at times. Maybe he's part of that's been bad luck. Part of that's on Shanahan, but. 
I expected before the season, and I get a million things wrong. I thought the NFC West was just going to be a blast. And it just seems fitting that here we are, that the championship game is two NFC West teams because they, it really was an unbelievably fun division all year. Yeah, it was amazing. It continues to reward us. It'll give us one more reward uh, here next weekend. All right. Last game here, Bengals, Titans, Bengals, 19, Titans, 16. Um, You know, I said to, uh, I said to my fiance was about to sit, sit down and watch this game at Sazel. Great, great spot here in El Segundo, by the way. Sazel, great Mexican food. Um, check it out if you're ever in town. I'll come meet you for a margarita. That's my promise. Uh, Sounds maybe. good. Maybe. Uh, it's not so specific. You, Scott, I'll definitely come. Everybody else out there that's listening is a maybe. Uh, Producer John, you're in, the, you're, in the, you're in the group, too. You can come as well. Everybody else, maybe. Uh, anyways, point is, we're sitting down to watch this game, and I said, I was like, the matchup in this game is the Titans' pass rush is just a total mismatch for the Bengals offensive line. The way that the Bengals offenses offensive line loses is a, is a direct, like this is a mismatch, right? Like the way the Titans rush the passer and the way the Bengals try to protect the passer is just like a, no, it's not. It, it is. It, 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 if the Bengals lose this game, it's going to be because Burrow got his ass sacked all game long. Well, Scotty got his ass sacked all game long and the Bengals still won. <laughs> yeah, he did. I, you know, Tennessee, I, disappointing that they could they couldn't move the ball and, and get we thought maybe they were getting their key pieces healthy at the right time because you're right i mean it felt like burrow had three sacks as soon as the game started but you know they hung in uh cincinnati you know g- give yourself a chance you don't have to play a perfect game sometimes uh, although the you know tell it to the bills and the chiefs because they feel like they probably had to play a perfect game but you know sometimes <laughs> it's just about surviving the niners survived saturday was a survival day right the Niners survived that Packer game. They yes. didn't play their best game at all. They were trailing almost the entire game. They survived it. Uh, Tennessee, Cincinnati was another game about survival where, you know, where 19 points was enough to win. I'm a little, you know, it's funny. I wonder if Tennessee was, this was kind of like their, their moment, their shot. Uh, Tannehill's uh, figure, his, his salary goes up significantly next year. They brought in Julio Jones on the wrong side of 30. Uh, Derrick Henry has already taken so much attrition. I, I don't ever feel comfortable betting against Derrick Henry, but man, he's taken a lot of hits. I, you know, running back windows are always just you know, smaller than we think they are. You know, this this day and age, it used to be like, oh, don't trust a running back over thirty. I mean, you can't really trust running backs on second contracts anymore. It feels like no. So, so Tennessee, a flawed team, a very well coached team, number one seed. They had got to avoid Buffalo or Kansas City. They would only face one of those teams in a worst case scenario, and they play them at home. This was really set up for maybe them to sneak into a Super Bowl. If you could actually do that as a one seed, it would have felt like they were going to do that. But I feel like Cincinnati has a better chance of of beating one of those heavyweights that they get. Turns out they get Kansas City. I'm in, I'm in love with Burrow. I'm in love with Chase. When, when T. Higgins is your 1A receiver, man, you live in right. And he, he, Burrow, it's not just his play. And it's not just the fact that he'll, he'll hold the ball. And maybe too long at times, he'll take hits. But there's just a certain gravitas to him that there's a certain um, he, he's the front man for your team. He's the guy you culture want changer. in charge of culture things. Changer. Yeah, culture certainly perfect way to say it. You know, even the injury last year he took in stride. It's a major injury. His knee, knee gets wrecked. He's like, okay, I'm gonna come back stronger. We'll be all right. You know, we did some good things this year and we're gonna build on it. And then he comes back and has an unbelievable season. I I hope the Bengals are here for the next seven, eight, ten years. God knows that fan base has has struggled. And I, I hope Chris Wesseling, the, the the late Chris Wesseling, who I know you were close to, uh, he was a big Bengals fan. I, I hope he's having a good seat and watching these 
games and, and, you know, thinking of of his wife and, and his child and everything. Yeah. Just what a great story that is. But uh, I, I hope the Bengals can take a swing at Kansas City, and that's a competitive game. I think Tennessee might have had their window. I'm a big variable guy. I'm a huge A.J. Brown fan, but I just feel like this team was set up to win now, didn't have the longest shelf life, and I think next year they probably won't even win the division. I think it's easily a situation where they could not even make the playoffs in 2022. Uh, I love that you brought it. I would love to know um... – what Wes thinks about this this Bengals team? I know he loved Burrow and like this, and but you know I say all the time uh, I have a complicated relationship with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, if anybody had a complicated relationship with the team they grew up being a fan of, it was Chris Wessling and the uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals. So I wonder what Wes thinks about uh, this year's Bengals team. It, I've thought about that often during the playoffs. But um, the other point you mentioned, Mike Vrabel, man, yeah, Vrabel's Vrabel's a dude. I, I love Mike Vrabel. I think this team this team has a culture. This team has an identity, right? Like eventually they got around to like having Dante Foreman run the ball with authority. Like they have an identity, Uh, you know, their pass rush, as I mentioned off the top is good. Like they've got clear advantages as a team, but what do we say as we, as we started this podcast, the rest of the AFC has to look around and be like, you know, we've got a guy, but we don't have like a cyborg, like friggin' Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. The Titans decidedly have a, a good, I think, a, a starting quarterback, a good quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, even though he throws three picks in this game and is like one of the absolute reasons the Titans lost this game. Even in his best days, he's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. So, like, I don't know. I mean, this team, I guess we'll just try to run it back next year. They'll probably be a very, very similar operation. But you're right. There are real questions here, starting with Derrick Henry. Um, and obviously, they're, Julio Jones' plan did not work out did not give them the lift in the postseason or in the regular season or at any point they'll be back to the drawing board they need more passing game options around aj brown because like when brown left the lineup it was just you know Tannehill's dead in the water this whole team is dead in the water but they've got a lot of questions to answer but i do think they've got the guy and mike for able to lead the ship and i think they will be back i think they'll i think they'll be back in the postseason next year because they've got a clear identity they've got clear strengths and um sounds like you're not drafting derrick henry next year with a top five pick though Man, I, I hate saying that and it comes to the point where you feel like you're fading everybody i mean you draw the number two or number three pick you get to pick somebody i think i'd be more likely to take a receiver there I totally agree with you on Vrabel, one of the best coaching commodities in the league. And I like that Tennessee has finally steered into the idea that A.J. Brown needs to be targeted off the bus. These ideas, You can't have games where he's targeted five or six times. You get, Justin Jefferson's like this, too. The Vikings got there in the second half of the season, just said, look, 10 targets is standard for Jefferson. I think that's the case with A.J. Brown. I just want to throw it back to Wes for one, one more thing about Chris Wesseling, who we've lost for a year now. What, what, what a great guy he was. One of his favorite things to do was as a curator this guy had read all the books seen all the documentaries was just such a deep knowledge historian of the game and if you were going on vacation or going on a long flight or whatever and you need something to read he'd go to him and he'd give you like okay read these 10 books if you can read these 15 magazine articles well he wrote a a bunch of great stuff that's worth revisiting but two of the things that he wrote that i want you to, to bookmark and read he wrote something about the Bengals in the late 60s and early 70s called the Ohio River Offense. Yep, Not a lot of people know who Greg Cook was. Uh, the, the foundations of concepts we still see in the NFL today, stuff that you're breaking down with, with reception perception. I want you to read the Ohio River Offense. And he also wrote something called Love You Blue, yeah. which was about the late 70s Houston Oilers. You, you got Bum Phillips. You got Earl Campbell. Some of the most unbelievable runs you'll see. I, Earl Campbell just running through defenses, having the jersey ripped off him. And, and Wes got deep in these things. He basically wrote documentary style 
you know, screenplays in articles. There, there's things I try to read about once a year. If you go back on his Twitter feed, he'll recommend a million. He'll love to tell you other stuff that people wrote. He wasn't a heavy self-promoter, but go read the Ohio River offense in the offseason. When you get a chance, you want to celebrate the Bengals and read Love You Blue and uh, just pour one out for our friend, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I can't talk about the West stuff too much because it's on a show it's just a lot but i mean i would i don't think i'm doing this if i'm if if not for chris wessling i mean he was one of my um one of my biggest like uh i, I just admired his work so much i thought i thought he was like the man and uh he was a great friend too and i mean also shout out and shout out to his wife lakeisha who who her la rams because she's actually a saint she's from you know lived in st louis like was a st louis rams fan and then was living here uh in la when they moved so she's uh enjoying a, a playoff with, with both of her teams now adopted with the Bengals and obviously with the Rams as well uh enjoying uh them both being in the postseason but yeah I she's agree. awesome follow her on Twitter too Lakeisha Jackson just a great uh and she works at NFL.com that's where yeah. her and Chris met and uh you know you know Chris better than I do I don't want to act like he, he and I were best friends but we were definitely friendly and uh oh, yeah. and Lakeisha's just a you know she's just a, a beam of light man she's just a yeah, really really cool lady and um you know I, I wish all the best for that family and I like interacting with her on Twitter she's just like us, you know, she's she's engaged in every play and she's living the highs and the lows. And, um, you know, this football thing brings us all together. No doubt, man. I mean, that's why we love football. Like like I said, I wouldn't I don't think I'd be doing this if it wasn't for Wes like he is. So, I mean, it's really it is really cool to to see is the, the Bengals going in this this uh, this deep into the postseason. Like I said, I would love to know um, how he would feel about it. The guy literally had a dossier assembled for why he was breaking up with the Bengals as a as a childhood fan. And um, like I, that was from from all the things I admired about Wes with the way I felt about the Panthers West where I definitely still feel about the Panthers. Matt rule would absolutely be like page one, two, three, four and five on my dossier for the Carolina Panthers. That was one of the many things I admired about um, West. But yeah, so I, I look, very look much looking forward to, the, to watching the Bengals next week. I got to say one more thing about West. He's a guy who made a career change in the middle of his life. He just said, "What am I passionate about? I'm going to go do that." And it's never too late. You know, my my father, who I lost last year, he used to always say that it was never too late to be who you might have been. And Chris Wesseling lived that out. He decided in his mid 30s, you know what? I want to do something else with my life. I I, I have a passion. For football, I have a passion for writing. I'm going to throw myself into this. And when he got an opportunity, he took advantage of it. So, you know, there's probably people listening right now who are in jobs that they're they're in because they need money, but they're not, it's not where your passion lies. It's never too late to think about what really gets me out of bed, what gets my blood pumping. You know, where are my passions in my life? And, and maybe I can turn that into a career or a side hustle, whatever it is. You know, uh, Chris showed that as much as well as anybody that it doesn't matter how old you are or what, where you went to college or when you got your degree, or even if you got your degree at all, that doesn't matter. It matters if something is important to you and you want to put the work in because you love it. And that's certainly why he was successful because he absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, he made his, uh, made his hay writing um, uh, like these essays in the football guys uh, message for forums back in the day. That's where Greg Rosenthal found him. And obviously they worked at Roto World together. He brought him to NFL Network, like, and that was the the rest of his life. There was uh was was here in LA. So yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I when I was started to wanted to write about football was you know I was much younger than Wes was at the time. I was you know about like twenty 
23 24 or something like that and um yeah it was just like started a website and just just went at it so whatever that is for people out there just do like people always ask how do i get started like working on my passion just just start however however that is for you and then just keep, keep like scott said earlier just keep chopping wood and and just do the damn thing because um i'm glad we have this i'm glad we finished like a beautiful weekend of football with this conversation because the nfl has the football is family bs thing or whatever but like it is good to feel the community in, in, in this part of it, because that's like, you're right. We experienced that chiefs uh, bills game all together. And I think like, it's just one of those things where, you know, no matter what instant classic, we'll always remember where we were. We'll always remember this conversation, Scott. And like, I just, I think this stuff is so valuable and this why for, for football in, in many senses. And this is another thing Wes said, like, how do you reconcile if you're going to cover pro football or be obsessed with it? Like, how do you, how do you reconcile the general meaninglessness of it all? That was what he would ask somebody if he was going to hire them to write uh, for cover like football or whatever. Uh, and how do I reconcile the general meaninglessness of it is like, these type of moments, you know, the way it brings people together, the way we are in this weird way, united and, and, and like just connected uh, over this very strange, weird, beautiful game. Uh, it does bring us together and allows us to have these moments and these connections. And I am eternally grateful that I find myself in this position to do this every single day. And and this was one of those weekends where, I was just reminded like, God, God, this game rocks. And I I love this game. And for all the, um, you know, week 14s of like, all right, let's preview giants and Washington football team. And is Canarius Tony a fantasy sleeper this week and how annoying that can all be. It's like, it's all worth it for, uh, for for these type of moments. No, it's so very well said. It's, it's, uh, this was the payoff. And the way that we can feel connections, especially at this time and age where, you know, it's harder to maybe get on a plane. You know, a lot of us maybe didn't celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas or the New Year's or whatever holiday you may celebrate. It may have been different the last couple of years because we don't have all the op- options and there's a lot of things that we're living with that are unusual. And so we can have events that bring us together and, and we can feel like, you know, I mean, look, when's the last time I saw you in person? A year and a half ago, two years ago? You know, I mean, uh, longer. Tampa, Tampa in uh, 20, was that? That was like 2019. Yeah, it was a while ago. So, yeah. you know, the fact that we can get together on a Zoom call, look at each other in the eye, talk about, you know, that margarita that I will come in LA and have have with you. So be careful Anytime, what you invite buddy. me to because I'll show Anytime, up. Anytime, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, hey, man, it's, um, these are the rewards and, you know, it makes the world feel a little bit smaller. And I just feel privileged. I can share it with you. I can share it with producer John, our Yahoo family, and and everybody listening because it really was a hell of a weekend. Hell of a weekend. Uh, it was awesome. And this podcast was awesome. I'm sure we went over our, whatever our budgeted time was. But uh, hey, that's what, the, uh, that's what January is for, the fantasy football calendar. This is the time of no accountability. Takes don't really matter to people. We're just here to talk about the game that we love. And we sure do love uh, pro football, man. It is awesome to be here. But that is all we have for today. If you want to keep the conversation going uh, on Twitter, of course, make sure to tweet at us. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And of course, make sure you follow Scott at Scott underscore P. We are the underscore bros here. Uh, and of course, while you're at it, go ahead and make sure you double check that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy to get news and analysis and all the good stuff from the entire team, especially as other sports are starting up. I know you folks care about that stuff. I uh, do not play any other fantasy sports, but for you that do, make sure you're tuned into Scott's writing with baseball uh, and whenever that whole thing gets figured out. But anyways, enough of that. Ladies and Dalton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, 
Liz and Dalton will be back on Friday with the preview of the conference championship games. But until then, we are out. We'll be right back.